Welcome to the Bricklayer's Notebook. My name is Don Mackay, and I'm here with Jack Eastwood. And today, we're going to deal with a phenomenon. It's both a piece of art, uh, bricolage and artwork, and treads the boundary between that. It's a phenomenon made by Jack Eastwood in 1995 called, Jack? It ended up being called Dinner at Pygmalion's. Yes, and... Dinner at Pygmalion's is so complex and has so many parts that we're devoting two episodes to it. Okay, so as a bricolage, it didn't start out as Dinner at Pygmalion's. I didn't have that concept in my head. No? Let's unpack it very quickly. I, I wanted to, for some odd reason, put body parts on chairs. So if a chair had a broken arm, I wanted to put an arm on it. If it had a broken leg, I wanted to put a leg on it. But not I, just a chair leg. Not, you're no, not no, just a foot. A, a sculpted foot. A sculpted foot. Like or a, a sculpted hand. Yeah. Or yeah. A, a sculpted ear. And I decided that for some reason I wanted to do this. So it started out as a piece of bricolage. It started out that I wanted to finish and repair chairs. And so I hunted around and I found broken chairs. I found some pressed back chairs, which is a process of pressing an impression in the back of the yeah. upper part of the, yeah. the chair, the, the rest, yeah. against I, the I rest. I used to a bunch of those myself. Yeah. And uh, that's quite common. And some had them and some didn't. And some, the backs were gone. So they needed to have a new back put onto it. Uh, some needed new leg. And I started doing it and I ended up with four chairs, which had... Ear, nose, leg, leg, chin, right. All, all the body parts. And if I just look at those chair, those things independently of this very complicated artwork, at at the end, they remind me a bit of Ray Magritte. You know, they have a immediate power and almost like a kind of like immediate sort of like, oh yeah, a leg. Chair has a leg. Human has a leg. There's a kind of immediate grab to them, just at that level. Yes. And ears as well. I guess that's actually called an eerie, that part of Well, the part of a chair that extends up beyond the back yeah. of the backrest is called the ear. And you put an actual... There's like an actual it. ear there. No, and have... in one, on one chair, there's an actual ear. On the other one, I put a nose above an elbow that's faced in. As you remember when you were kids with your brothers and sisters and you were sitting in the car or you were at the dinner table beside each other and... They'd be poking you with their elbow. Yeah. Well, the elbow kind of sticks into your back. Most of us have bruised, yeah. Most of us bruised so, ribs just from being children. I was playing with the concept of these chairs were family kind of oriented because yes. on one back I took, and you remember the two rhymes about boys and girls. One was, "What are boys made out of? Snakes and snails and puppy dog tails." And what are girls made out of? Sugar and spice and everything nice. So instead of the pressed back, uh, it's carved. That that back is carved with uh, snakes and snails and puppy dog tails. Snakes and circle the snakes and circle the snails and puppy dogs. Yeah. And the other one had sugar and spice and all things nice. And so it's kind of like a pressed back, but it's the echo back to our childhood, a childhood that we knew. And a childhood that many other people have heard that rhyme. I don't know if it's common now, but yeah, during the 50s and 60s, 
politically incorrect now because politically kind of, incorrect. Yeah, it, it nails kids to their gender, etc. But we grew up in that. Yes, we it? grew up with that. But and, this was also part of. Now, I was building these chairs, and then I thought, okay, I've got these chairs, but now I need something. I need something to knit these chairs together, and uh-huh. they, they're just four chairs with body parts on them, and. I thought, okay, what do I need? Well, you, I need a table. Okay, well, what am I gonna? What kind of a table do I want? Well, I had a large, large piece of pine that I'd stored for a long time. And when I say large, it would probably be about 20, 25 inches in diameter. Yeah. And it had a natural crack where when wood dries, yeah, it checks. And there was a natural check right down the middle of it. So I started carving that into a torso. I thought, oh, well, if I've got the body parts on the chairs, I need a torso. Uh, Right. I carved the torso and I decided that one side of the torso would be male and the other side would be female. There are the bodily parts of a female on one half and the bodily parts of a male on the other half. That became the pedestal. I see. And now yeah, the pedestal at... for... Then I thought, okay, now I've got this pedestal. And again, this is concept of bricolage. It's sort of... I don't have the idea of something in totality before I've begun. Right. Then I took and I thought, okay, I could put a, a top on this. What, will I, what kind of top will I put on this? And how will I attach the top? And I thought, hmm, I could put a wooden top on it, but that would hide the torso. So how about if I put a round glass top on it? Uh Okay, well then how (laughs) am I going to attach a round glass top to the neck of a torso? Ah. So then I began the process of contemplating how I would do that. Well, if I hollow the, the, the neck out, if I attach it to the wood, just the wood, the wood is not a very strong bond. I would not right. get a strong bond from the glass to the wood because it's only a, a six inch or an eight inch piece. And it's wood grain that's open grain because it's the end of the end. You know, it's, right. if you cut the tree in half, it's that part. It's the end grain. So I thought, hmm, what am I going to do? And I wanted to embed a sense of time into yes. the piece. So I thought time, 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 time. Oh, how about a, how about a sundial? Uh-huh. How about a sundial? Because a sundial has time in it. Yes. And sundials can also have seasons embedded onto it. Yeah. So that so I researched sundials and found out that sundial in St. John's, Newfoundland, is, which is where we are presently, uh, has a certain angle for the gnomon. The gnomon is the piece that casts the shadow, okay, that's, onto the dial itself. That's G-N-O-M-O-N. Yes, it's from the word, it's from the word knowledge, knowledge, gnosis, ah, knowledge, ah. gnomon. Ah, yeah. it, it comes from that. That's an aside. But I designed a... Lots of asides in bricolage, Jack. Right, lots, lots of asides. Bricolage is maybe said as a collection yes, of yes, asides. Yes. yes, right. So, so in <clears throat> in Newfoundland, there is a mine they call the talc mine. Yeah. And the talc mine is is really a stone called pyrophyllite, which is very soft, and you can carve it. 
and I got a piece of pyrophyllite and I cut it in a circle large enough to fit into the neck. Ah. I cut the neck so that it would fit in and I could put screws through the wood into the stone to hold the stone in place. I, I, I carved in that around the outside were all the months of the year in Greek symbols. So ah, the zodiac, basically. Is in the pyrophyllite. It, it's carved in each symbol for, the, for, ah. for a month. All the symbols of the zodiac, 12 months, are like Vir, Virgo, yeah. Pisces, all of those are carved all around the outside rim. Then on the inside, there are four Greek symbols for the seasons, the four seasons. Aha. The f- spring, winter, summer, and fall. And then, no, uh, oh, wait a minute. I've got that. Have I got that right? On the outside, there were the... Uh, months and the seasons. Maybe no, the months. Also, also the lines for the hour, the wow. hour lines. So that you went from... Wow. So that when the gnomon cast a shadow, you looked at it and it said, oh, it's one o'clock. Or uh-huh. it was only, of course, as you know, a sundial only works in the daytime. Yeah, right. So you only had the daytime hours, really. Right. Until the sun would go down. Then I, I, I bonded that piece of stone to the glass. Uh, and then I could put the piece, of, the piece of glass into the top of the neck and use the screws to hold that stone so it wouldn't move. So then I had the pedestal with a glass tabletop so that you could see the pedestal right and you could see all of the chairs. And the torso. And the torso. So that <laughs> if I would have put some kind of a wooden table on, it would have obscured the pedestal. You could uh-huh. have bent down and looked at it. But this way, you can see it. Not only can you see it, when light strikes the tabletop, it reflects, the sh- the, it reflects everything that's around it. So you get reflections of the, the chairs. You get reflections of the torso in the glass. Ah, and if you're sitting in any of these chairs, you're looking down at this hermaphroditic torso, and you're also looking down at sort of a kind of way of symbolizing time in all of its manifestations. Yes, this and there... progress of time. And you, and you brought up the, the concept of hermaphrodite. Well, wow. that term comes from two of the Greek gods, Hermes and Aphrodite. And the dinner at Pygmalion, Pygmalion was a shepherd who lived, this is one form of the myth, a shepherd who lived on the island of Cyprus. Uh-huh. And this was a man who, who could not find his perfect mate. So he decided that he would sculpt the perfect mate. Uh-huh. And he spent time sculpting this till he got it absolutely perfect. But of course, it was a piece of stone and it had no life. Now, Aphrodite was in the Greek pantheon, was the goddess of passionate love, both inside and outside of marriage. She was a goddess where there was a temple to the goddess and young men and women who wanted to learn. This was the proto, proto sex education uh, <laughs> yeah. academy right. called the Temple of Aphrodite. And she would go, the young men and women would go there and there were priestesses there who would teach them in the arts of passion. 
and young women would go and young men would come and they would, when they, it's given, uh, let's take that it's quite a while ago and there was not any, any concept of political correctness or gender parity. So yeah. the young men would come and they would be introduced to the women. And if they were interested in one of the women, they would take a coin and they would put it in her hand. And then the two of them would go to where the priestesses would teach them the arts of passionate love. Right. Now, that had its downsides. If no one put the coin into their hands, they were not chosen. So one side of this, one side of this pedestal slash sculpture slash piece of bricolage is Aphrodite. And the other side is Hermes. Yeah, yeah. And Hermes is really interesting for a bricoleur because in some ways I would, you could say that Hermes is the patron saint of bricolage. And so it, 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 we've got this combination of the passionate resources of love and the intuitive invention of the bricoleur going on at the same time inside this one, which is this, Reasonable? I think this inside yeah, it's inside very this one reasonable. Thing. I quite love I quite love the parallel between uh, Christianity and Greek pantheon that Hermes was a patron saint. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> is, yeah, we're sort I love of it because there. that's going to that's going to with what follows that will come up. I want to take a step backwards now because I did not know that this was going to be called dinner at Pygmalion's. I had were still no <laughs> idea that that. That was right. what this was going to become. Yeah. Because all I had at this point was the chairs, the torso, the glass table. And then I had to, as I mentioned before, there was what's called the gnomon. The gnomon casts the shadow. And at some point, this whole idea of, of Aphrodite and Pygmalion kind of came into... I don't know why it dropped into my consciousness, but it did. And so I had to make a gnomon. Now, in, in Aphrodite's cult, there were symbols to use for passion. And two of the symbols were, one was a flock of swallows because of the flightiness of passion. How, it, how some people experience it. And then the second one was two swans with the power of their wings, that kind of... Yeah. Very different modes of flight, right? Between swallows and Yeah, very different. But two kinds of feeling that passion gives you. Yeah. And these were embodied in that. And so I I couldn't make a gnomon with a flock of swallows, but I could with a swan. So I carved from this stone, the same stone that was was embedded in the top of the... Yeah, your pyrophilite. The Perophyllite, and I carved Hermes and Aphrodite in a chariot being pulled into the sky yeah. by a swan. It looks to so, me too like they're engaged in a sexual congress. Well, Would they're 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 possible? wrapped around each other in yeah. this chariot. Now when when I'm speaking of that, the size of this carving is about quarter of an inch wide. Oh, by I'm, about four inches high uh, uh, by two and a half inches wide because it's just the gnomon that casts the shadow on a, right. on a, on a sundial that is 
six inches in diameter. Yeah. So it's made. We're dealing so, in miniature here, aren't we? It's miniature. So it's yeah, a miniature it's carving. Beautiful. Yeah. And it sits, yeah. and it was glued to the top of the table so that if the table had been out in the sunlight at the proper angle for St. John's, Newfoundland, it would tell you the exact proper time in St. John's. It would? Yes. Oh my would. God. It would. Yeah, really. So that was the research that I did. And, yeah. and, and in researching the sundials, I had to go back to the Greeks and maybe that's how that's how I got connected with with the Greek myths. But the myth of Aphrodite. So so now we've got that. So we've got the now we've got the table, we've got the sundial, we've got the gnomon, we've got the four chairs. And then I thought, okay, well, what's now? Well, earlier on in my history, four friends, for some reason, one day I decided I wanted to sandblast the image of an eye onto a piece of glass. Uh-huh. And I did that. And then I made up what I called an eye box. And, and I put, the original one was, I put an apple inside of it, and inside of the box, and you closed the box, and you looked through the eye. So, I mean, it was a pun, the apple of my eye. Right. Ah, all right. So it was an original pun, but then that's surprising I, coming from you, original pun. That's yeah, amazing. yeah. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a, it was a, really, yeah. <laughs> I, I decided. All right, we're going to have a family. Well, if I've got a family and I've got all the body parts, different body parts, I'm going to need eyes. Well, oh, I had this eye box that I made before, so I made eight eye boxes with sandblasted eyes in the glass as if as if it's a little frame with the glass in it but mm -hmm. there's an eye sandblasted onto the and then i painted the back of each box with eight scenes two for the two for a mother two for a father two for a son two for a daughter yeah so right. that it was a family of four because there was four chairs yeah and then i needed to hang those eye boxes above the table so that they would be in front of you, if you were sitting to have dinner, there would be two eyes that were hanging directly in front of you, and they would revolve. If you touched them, you could open them up and look at the scene on the back of the eye, as if, as if you could read what's on the back of someone's mind. Uh -huh. You could see what's going on. And, so, and those images had images from my childhood, uh, uh, like... For the, uh -huh. for, the, for the young girl, she had to wear a book on her head to walk upright. There was a piano there that had a pair of eyes that looked at her because every young girl was supposed to learn how to play the piano. She's kind you know, of dancing. The things that, and then there was, you know, the mother had, you know, she was standing in the living room with a vacuum in one hand yeah. and a pie in the other. <laughs> and uh, the father, the, there was one for the father. The father, there was geese flying through there. There was Very a policeman small. in a policeman's uh -huh. outfit. And uh -huh. uh, so they all had... All of these eyes, but they were meant to hang right in front of you. Yes. So that if you, and you were allowed, okay, here's the other thing, which I think you. I mentioned to you earlier, but I, yeah. I was just going to mention about these, these eyes and the images in them are quite domestic. Yes, yes. Yes, they're quite domestic and that's the founders. And then the, I'm just coming back to the pedestal. You've got this domestic thing and underneath it, there's all these deep mythic, what's that word? Cathonic, you know, C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C, yeah. Cathonic forces embodied in that very powerful, very powerful pedestal that's hermaphroditic. So obviously yes, like yes. All, all, this, all of the energies are there. And then there's the domestication up and top through and the eyes. Is I that right? was, I was, yes. But yeah. I, 
I was Something not else. okay. I was not conscious. No, I'm coming at it from somebody who's looking at the thing. As yes, a yes. Thing. Yeah. I, 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 for some of these things, I was not conscious of of some of the dynamics in it at at the beginning. I just thought, okay, if I've got a torso and there's a split down the middle, well, then one half should be female and one half should be male. I wasn't saying, you know, I'm not good. I, I wasn't planning to do that. It was the material said, all right, I got a split down me. So you could, I could make it one torso as in male or female, but it just said, no, yeah. I should be, I've got a split. So I should be one half male and one half female. And of course, then the myth of Pygmalion is someone trying to construct their perfect mate. Yeah. So all of what you've got here is you can go in. Well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the body parts, you know, everybody chooses the kind of person that they want to be with. Yeah. And each of those people, you know, like you could have three men and three women and you look at one and he's muscular and, and you know, looks like a bodybuilder and the next one, you know, looks like a little skinny guy and the next one is overweight and, and you know, you sort of say, well, somebody chooses the muscular guy, somebody chooses the skinny guy and somebody chooses the fat guy and the same, the same, you know, but they all have different body parts as it were. Yes. You know, and, and you put together your perfect partner by you choose you know oh i like that about this person or i like this as well as personality it's both it's not just the body but people do have preferences with regards to body that's why pygmalion making ah constructing his own perfect mate i wonder if this would be a point for me to read something from your act from the actual program or Notes well, I don't of... think you should, because I think we should tell them what the program was, and it comes a bit later. So can we wait on that, okay. please? That's uh, good, because we're we're at, we're at the point now where we've got the eyes. Now we've got the eyes, but they have to hang over the table. Well, how can I get them to hang over the table and be integrated? Yeah. Okay. And I decided I would the, the thing I could build would be a swan that would fly over the table. Ah. Because the swan wings would be wide enough to hang two pairs of eyes and the neck and the tail would be long enough that I could hang the other set and they would be at right angles to each other. So four chairs around the table across from each other. Then the, the eyes hung right in front of where you sat. So these eyes watch you as you were sitting at the table. All the eyes, if you touched one of them and let go of them, they would spin and they would look around the table they would so mm. they were they were activated by you touching them that's that's the basic structure and and people would sit in these chairs maybe that's well the that, time that's to... what happened was was then i thought oh okay now i've got now i've got this whole thing okay so let's let's set up all of this stuff in a in a gallery and how am I going to do that? Well, I, the, the Eastern Edge in St. John's had this little gallery they called the Rogue Gallery, which was about big enough. It was big enough. It was a, for a, a single person, single in the sense of one person, to set up their work. And uh, so I 
engaged them and they said, yes, we, you can put this work up. So I, I took a door uh, that had a glass frame in it and I sandblasted an imaginary Pygmalion onto the door and then painted his, his body part, body. So the, the sandblasted part was his upper body. And, and then I took a curtain and I tie-dyed the curtain ah. so that the color of would come through the sandblasted glass. So you had both the sandblasted glass. And so when, uh. you, when you were entering, you would see the door, you would see this man standing there. And you would see he's in kind of Greek garment, purple robe, right? Down below the painted part on the door is that. And then above the door, in a Greek kind of column, is the word cataclysmos. Now, most people would think, and this is something that I learned and is quite surprising. Most people think cataclysm is a disaster. But in actual fact, the feast for Aphrodite was called Cataclysmos, and it was the flooding, a flooding of passion. So the original meaning of Cataclysm. Cataclysmos was a flooding. Yeah. The flooding, the flooding that you feel when you fall in love, or even if it's you know inside or outside marriage, right? It's it doesn't it isn't restricted, right. so to speak. Yeah. So Cataclysmos, so that. I was trying to reclaim the meaning of cataclysmos uh-huh. to to its flooding of passion because when the battle came between Christianity and Greek gods, the Christian Christian was like, oh, oh 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 no, we can't have none of this kind of passion. We can't have all these bodies, you know, wrapped around each other, doing things that are just a little bit too, you know, they're not, I mean, there's body, body bad, as as St. Augustine would put it, body bad, spirit good, uh-huh. which was not the Greek idea. The Greek pantheon was just great big family of, of, <laughs> of gods who were dysfunctional as all get out, but were also very body and, and bodily. Yes. So, yeah. so, and this was, of course, anathema to the concept of, body bad, spirit good. Yeah. So cataclysmus became disaster. And now with this, if, if we leap ahead just a little bit, if you don't pardon me for doing this, but uh, now we have Aphrodite's swan overseeing the whole dinner table with the yeah. family around it. Yeah. So over top of them yeah. and be- below them, over top of them is Aphrodite's swan and underneath them this her- hermaphroditic her- pedestal. So they're surrounded by these and, Herm- and, Her- forces. and Hermes and Aphrodite being pulled into the sky by <laughs> yeah. a swan. By a swan, yes. So, so yeah. So the the image of the two of them. So we've got powerful mythic natural forces. Yes. When um, you came, this is where you said, "Could I read this?" And I paused you for a moment. I said, "When you came, one other element that I did was I said to myself." Okay, I want people to be able to touch the art. So all of the body parts I coated with beeswax. Uh-huh. Because the uh-huh. warmth of your fingers caressing the body parts on the table or, you know, and I knew that people would. I knew that if they were allowed to come in, they would touch them. Those who felt comfortable enough would touch them. So I said, oh, the other thing 
and and so I coated those in in beeswax. And so when they came in, this is when I decided this was dinner at Pygmalion's because you could come and you could eat at this table. Yes. Now, one element that we totally forgot to tell them, Don. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there an audio element to this? Yes. Yes, there was. I took, when I was constructing the chairs, I hollowed out the pieces where the body parts were that were sitting on, like uh, if it was on a leg, I would hollow the leg and and I embedded speakers into the body parts. Ah. I embedded speakers that went, the wire went up through the leg, up underneath the chair to a tape recorder. And the tape recorder, another leg was hollowed out and it had a switch in it. So much like a ballpoint pen, when you sat down, the ballpoint pen would push the nib up. Well, that would be the start. That would start the tape recorder. So when you, you got off the chair, the nib would go back down and the tape recorder would stop. So when you sat down on one of these chairs... What did you hear? You heard one quarter of the story of Pygmalion told by a body part. Wow. To you. Uh-huh. So the body parts spoke to you. Activated by your ass. Activated by you sitting on the chair. So you had to sit on the chair to hear the story. Right. And there was four parts to the story, so you had to sit on every one of the chairs. So while you were sitting on it, you were probably going to fondle the hand that was there or the foot that was there. So you left your scent, your own scent, embedded into the beeswax. Wow. Wow. So the viewer is multi-sensual. He's not just he, she, it's not just a uh, visual viewer, is, but it's also an audience listening to the story, also a feeler with all this tactile, insistent tactile stuff, you know, and uh, also there must have been the smell of the beeswax as well. So the senses yes. were all actually all involved and also kind of mandatory to get the experience of the art yeah total the total experience you had to be involved really in all of your senses right yes and and you know here here we are coming to the border between the liminal space between bricolage and art yeah the space that that some people would say well isn't that art not bricolage and this is one of the things that we are battling with in this whole podcast series. Some people would say, well, that's art. Or we're saying it's bricolage. Uh, and why we're speaking of this within the Bricolors Notebook is because it started out as one thing. Uh-huh. Like, like yeah. the tower in Watts. It started out with this guy just right. wanting to build a couple of things and then it slowly became something and more and right. then more and then more and then more and then ended up being a dining experience and you could go in and you could take your lunch and you could sit down. Yeah. So you could also eat at You it. had to book a, a half hour sitting, the same <laughs> as you had to book. And when you arrived there, you got what was the equivalent of a menu. And it said... Welcome to dinner at Pygmalion. So, Jack, given all those ingredients, what was on the menu? Well, tune in 
in the next part and you'll find out. In episode two. Episode two. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. And if you didn't, blame, blame Sally. Sally.